Shabbat Shalom, Chag Sameach. When the uh, Talmud discusses Mamad Harsinai, a Gemara that's very difficult uh, logically for us to deal with. <clears throat> now part of the idea, I want as a preface, all rabbis say a few words before they speak. So the preface is that when you have Midrashim, words in the Midrashim in the Talmud, that deal with events that are recorded in the Torah or in the Vim or Ketuvim. And the description in the Midrash and in the Talmud, there are various descriptions that seem to be not only different from one another, but many times at odds with one another. So how do we understand that? Well, the first thing we understand is that Midrash is never to be taken literally. Now, that's a difficult concept for Jews to assimilate because uh, for some reason or another, if we are uh, educated from our youth that we do take things literally. Part of that reason is because there was a school of interpretation, especially in the early Middle Ages. There was a school of interpretation of Jewish scholarship that took the whole Torah allegorically. In other words, they said nothing in the Torah is literal. And the story of the Garden of Eden represents something the story of Avraham Avinu represents something. The story of the Akedo represents something. Nothing is literal. 
and uh, that naturally undercuts all Jewish beliefs. And if you say everything's an allegory, then everybody can invent their own allegories. And uh, the Rambam especially and others uh, fought that school. I mean, Sadiqon discusses it. So because of that, as a reaction, we always know that there always is a reaction. As a reaction, we uh, went to the other side and we said we're going to take everything literally. Because we don't want to start with allegories. We don't want to start with that it represents something. Well, if we take everything literally, then how come you have all of these different opinions in the Talmud and the Midrash about the same event? In the uh, language of the yeshivas, it's a machloket b'mitziyut, it's a difference of opinion as to what happened. How can it be a difference of opinion as to what happened? If our tradition is inviolate, if we can trace ourselves back to Sinai, back to Mitzrayim, back to Yosef, back to Yaakov, to Yitzchok, to Avraham, so how can that be that we don't know what happened? So all of the Meforshim uh, discussed this problem, even though the educators in school don't discuss it. One of the things that uh, one has to be most aware of is that Chazal were not afraid to discuss anything. There's nothing that's off the table. In our time, again, because uh, the secularists, reform, all of the things that have happened to us, so there's a lot of things that are simply off the table. Nobody discusses it. Nobody discusses the hard question of the Holocaust. How, why, where? Not taught even. You have to go, God forbid, to a secular university to get a course in Holocaust studies. Which is usually so uh, boring and numbing that it doesn't do anything for anybody. Or the state of Israel. How did this happen? Not what is its political or social implications. What are its theological implications? What happened here? Off the table.
But the Chazal nothing was off the table. So uh, when it came to Mamet Har Sinai, we have different opinions in the Midrash what went on there and in the Talmud. So again, they are not arguing in the Mitziut of what happened. The Torah tells us what happened. But they are giving different perspectives on what happened. That's what the Midrash does. It allows you to see things from different vantage points. So even though the event is not under discussion, so to speak, the surrounding uh, layers of understanding can differ greatly. And that's what makes the Torah eternal. No generation sees everything the same the previous generation saw it. That's why it says, Binu Shno's door for door. Every generation has to understand it in its own context and its own milieu. So I want to discuss with you uh, a few different approaches that we find in the Talmud and Midrash, in the works of the commentators regarding this central fact of Mamad Harsinai. The Jewish people are standing at Mount Sinai. And we're going to hear uh, read on Shavuos uh, the, uh, the awesome description. You know, that awesome is uh, another one of the words in our time which has lost all meaning. How was that pizza that you bought? It was awesome. So if pizza is awesome, then there's nothing left for awesome to mean anything. And there are many other words, amazing. There are a lot of words that have lost all content in our time. But I'm from uh, the old school where we never said awesome. So awesome still remains awesome. So there was thunder and lightning and volcanic explosions and lava flows and the mountain is uh, exuding fire. The people are terror-stricken. And the, uh, the sound of the chauffeur, a never-ending sound that becomes stronger and stronger. And then the, the first two of the Ten Commandments are heard, so to speak, uttered from heaven. And that creates within the Jewish people such a uh, situation of terror that they say to Moshe, we can't have Daber you you get the Torah and teach it to us. We can't hear it straight. It's too much for human beings to bear. Now, that's the simple description in the Torah itself as to what happened. 
And the Torah also says that the Jewish people accepted the Torah. We will do whatever God says. And then later on in Parshas Mishpotim they will say, We will do and we will study and understand and the Torah will become the central subject of our lives. Comes the Talmud in Mesechet Shabbos and the Talmud tells us a strange thing, very famous piece in the Talmud. Rashi quotes it in Chumash. We are taught that as children we already imagine it. It says, Vayamdu betachti sohor the Jewish people stood at the base of the mountain. Now, tachtis literally doesn't mean base. Tachtis means underneath. Tachas is underneath. So the Talmud is troubled why does it say tachtit if only if it means that they stood at the base? So the Gemara says the famous uh, statement: Kafo aleim harkigiyit. The Rabbanu Shalom uproots this mountain, so that the people are under the mountain. The mountain hovers over their heads. And and then heaven says the challenge to the Jewish people. If you accept the Torah and you live by it, everything will be good. Fine. Vim love. But if you don't, or a different gear says, this is your grave. In other words, we're going to drop the mountain on you. Well, if uh, the choice is whether to have the mountain drop on your head or not, uh, naturally, people will say, uh, we don't want the mountain to drop on our head. We want, uh, we want to live, we want to survive. So therefore, uh, yeah, we tell give us the Torah. You got a Torah Shabbat Peel, so give it to us too. We'll take it all. So the Gemara immediately says, if we follow this interpretation again, literally, we have here something that cancels the Torah. They never accepted willingly the Torah. God, so to speak, coerced them. The concept of free will is dominant in Judaism. The Gemara says that heaven doesn't interfere. 
Heaven doesn't interfere in uh, your assessment of Torah and in your behavior. You can do whatever you want. You can build Disneyland, you can build Auschwitz, you can build Jerusalem, whatever you want to do, do. It's all open for you. So if that's the case, then what's the whole story here with the Jewish people? We never accepted the Torah willingly. If that's the case, then why does it say in the Torah, Whatever God said we're going to do, what do you mean you're going to do? You're going to do because I got the mountain hanging over your head. I have a gun to your head. So the more I concludes, on my rover, the great Rabbi Rava said, right, at Harsinai, they were coerced. But whatever was at Harsinai was rectified in the story of Purim. Because it says in the Megillah, Kiyamu v'kiblu ayyuhudim aleim v'alzorum v'alkolanilvim aleim what they had originally accepted, so to speak, by force majeure, by the pressure of the mountain, now they accepted it willingly at the time of Mordechai and Esther, and that's what binds us. Very strange Gemara, because from the Gemara it seems that the first thousand years after Har Sinai, the Jewish people are not bound to anything. Only, but they are bound only from the time of Purim. So the whole bias Rishon is zero. So then why did they go into Golis and what is the Nevi'im hollering about that said they never accepted it? They never committed themselves to it. So there are many streams here of interpretation. One stream, the one that uh, appealed to me uh, throughout my lifetime, because I remember uh, uh, this question was raised when we were in the yeshiva yet. I was a teenager. And we discussed it with our rabbeim. Many times, even if you never come up with an answer, the fact that you discussed it itself becomes almost the answer. It's like a catharsis. You talk it out of yourself. It's when you internalize it and don't talk about things. I mean, that's already uh, a psychology lesson that uh, you didn't pay for, and I'm not going to give it to you. 
but that's where the problems uh, exist. The problem is what we hold inside. So, one of the streams that is mentioned, especially amongst the commentators in Spain, the smarty commentators of the early and the middle, middle ages, is that this description in the Gemara, which is not to be taken literally, but nevertheless is not purely an allegory, is the historical view that God, so to speak, implanted in the Jewish people at Sinai. Kaviochal heaven said to us, I have a Torah, and I have chosen you for whatever reason. Heaven doesn't have to give us reasons. I have chosen you to be the transmitters of the Torah. Now you have the choice. You don't have to do it. If you do it, mutov. You'll survive. You'll be a special people. You'll be a mamlechas kani begoy kadosh. You'll have a unique history. There'll be no other people in the world like you. For good or for better, but that's what it's going to be special. Vimlav. And if you don't want that role, you don't choose to be a special people. So, this will be your grave, meaning you will disappear like every other nation in the history of the world eventually disappears. So there's no mountain hanging over our head. There's a historical reality. You could be like the Greeks, like the Romans. You could be like the Catholic Church. You can be a Marxist. You can be whatever you want. But that's all uh, going to disappear. None of these things have been able to stand the test of time. We see today in our time how the world is uh, thrashing about to try and find something. It's a pursuit of something. Because there's an empty world. I mean, that's what all the woke is, and that's what all it is, is, is a search for something. You want to make a perfect world. You want everybody to be equal. So for everybody to be equal, we've got to make people unequal. If you think about it, that's the nonsense, but that's what we're doing. So we're repeating the story of uh, the Tower of Bovel, and we're repeating the story of Zdom. Those are all the stories that are in the Chumash. Because they also were searching for something. Avram Avinu found it and he told them about it. But they didn't, they didn't choose to follow him. So by Mamad Sinai, the Jewish people had the choice. 
So individually, Jews chose always throughout the ages. But the Jewish nation wavered as to whether or not they wanted to be a special people or not. And therefore we find throughout Tanakh that there's a trend in Jewish life that says, We are like every other nation. We're, we're not special. Which is exactly, uh, if you look at American Jewry today, uh, to a great extent that's what they're saying. We're not a minority. We're ignoring anti-Semitism. We're not special, right? The Asians are special. Uh, the African Americans are special. The Hispanics are special. We're not special. We don't want to be special. I mentioned many times Karlbach's famous quip that, that when he went on campus and he asked the student, uh, what are you, if the student said Catholic, so then he believed that he was a Catholic. If he said he's a Muslim, he believed he was a Muslim. If a student said, I'm a human being, he said, that's a Jew. Because that's Kahalagoyan basis, we're just like everybody else. We're not special. If we're not special, then we are subject to the general rules of history. The general rules of history is that no empire has ever survived. Hard to say it, but it's true. I was watching, uh, the Gemara says that uh, a person should always try to see uh, the royalty of the nations of the world, the pomp, so that you would have some sort of inkling as to the royalty of heaven and what it is entitled to. So now Queen Elizabeth is commemorating 70 years as the queen. 70 years she's the queen. And so you got these thousands of red-coated soldiers with fur. I mean, that's a strangle that they got. <laughs> and the whole shebang and everything, it's, it's, it, and it, it's emotional. It touches you. But it's all pretense because there's no British Empire anymore. They don't have India, they don't have Hong Kong, they don't have and all of that is gone. And it went in an instant. A hundred years ago, Great Britain ruled uh, a third of the world's population and a quarter of the surface of the earth. We're going to be forever. And what shall we say about our Russian friends? What happened to them? So God said, that's your choice. You know, it'll happen to you too. If that's what you choose, I'm not punishing you. I'm not forcing you into anything. 
just telling you. Without the Torah, you won't survive. The only thing that will give you the equipment to survive is the acceptance and observance and study of the Torah. Because then you become a partner with eternity, and eternity has no time limit to it. And that's what we say in Dabning, if we would pay attention to what we say. What's Orech Yomeinu mean? The length of our days. You become an old man like me, sometimes the days are too long. What's Orech Yomeinu? Orech Yomeinu is survival. We're going to last through all the days. We're here. And that is Bishuta Torah. That's because of the fact we're gonna do it. And the Jewish people didn't realize that until Purim. Until Purim they didn't realize that they're special yet. They thought that the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of the northern tribes of Israel are kingdoms like the other kingdoms of Egypt and Babylonia, Aram, Syria. Yeah, we're, we're like them, right? And all of a sudden, the poor, it awoke that that's not who we are. That somehow we are special. Because otherwise, what do they want from us? What in the world drives Oman to do such insanities and Achashverosh to cooperate and the Persians to be willing to commit it? So then they understood what it means to be special. Then they saw the historical perspective, so to speak. Whatever we say about the Holocaust, and again, there's very, very little to say. But it certainly emphasized that we're special. To a generation that felt that the Jewish people were not special. And that's what happened to the Jews in Russia. They were good communists. They were members of the Soviets. So, you know, they're, they're not special. They're Russian. Communists. Golda Meir used to still attend every socialist international convention until they started passing all of the anti, uh, anti-Israel resolutions. And then she stopped going. Because all of a sudden she realized that we're special. And that they didn't look at her as a fellow socialist. So she had to stop going. So that's what the Talmud is telling us here. That's its view of the matter. And that's what we read. 
you, uh, you know, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just outlining what will happen. So even though people know that terrible things will happen, they'll do it anyway, right? People smoke, people take drugs, people become alcoholics, people are dysfunctional. They know it's not going to be good. It says so on the package that this is harmful to your health. It makes no difference. But at least they knew where they're going. And that's the choice that all of us have and that the Torah gives us. And that's really what makes Shavuos the special holiday that it is. Because it renews that perspective. It renews that vision. How do we see it? What are we going to do? What kind of people are we? So the Rebbe said, You're going to be, to me, special. The world is mine. I have the right to choose who I want to make special. So you have the possibility to be special. But it's up to you. So ve'atem, up to you. Then to you leave mamlechas koanim v'vaykodosh. You can be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That's how you can be special. But you're going to be special. There's no escaping that. That's a hard lesson of history, but it's a uh, basic lesson. It gives us perspective on all of Jewish life and Jewish events. And therefore, uh, this idea that's communicated to us in the uh, Talmud uh, has great relevance to us and to our lives and how we view matters. So, so I want to wish you a Shabbat Shalom and a Chag Sameach and uh, enjoy your cheesecake, even though you know it's harmful for you. <laughs>